Welcome to Season 2 of Entering the Inspiration Zone. This episode is sponsored by Rise Together Real Estate Development Group, an organization focused on lifting all Boston communities through development. To learn more about Rise Together, please visit risetogether.boston. That's risetogether.boston. The link is also in your show notes. Hi, I'm Juliet Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliet Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome. I'm so excited to have with me today, Bob Rivers. Bob is the chair and CEO of Eastern Bank, and Eastern Bank is headquartered here in Massachusetts and is the largest commercial bank headquartered in Massachusetts. Bob is also a champion of diversity, equity, and inclusion. He is well-known in the Boston community, someone who actually does what he says he's going to do. And I am very delighted to know Bob and to have had the opportunity to serve as an ambassador for Eastern Bank. I'm going to let Bob tell you more about himself. As you know, we always start this episode with the personal story. And so I'm going to give Bob an opportunity to introduce himself and to, Bob, tell us about your journey. Great. Well, thank you, Juliet. Thanks for the kind introduction. It's great to be with you on the Inspiration Zone. And uh, thanks for all of your work with us at Eastern over the years. When I think of my own journey professionally, I'm a now a 40-year banker who started his career as a teller and a bank janitor. And that's how I first got into the business during college as a way to pay my way. And it's through that entire period of time, I've done a lot of things in the industry and been in a lot of places. And along the way, got very interested in social justice and sustainability issues with a particular focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think, as I think about it, it comes from a lot of different places, not the least of which, of course, is, is my own upbringing. As it turns out, my Parents named me after the late Senator Robert F. Kennedy, something that I discovered as a teenager when asking about where my name came from, because Robert uh, wasn't a family name, and started to read about the late senators in the very latter part of his life, championing these issues on behalf of others who were less fortunate than himself, and was really taken by that and inspired by it, and really lit a fire in me to want to do something more for others that didn't have the advantages that I've had. I mean, certainly, uh, while I came from pretty humble beginnings, as evidenced by my work history and, you know, paying my own way through college, nonetheless, you know, I've come to recognize over time that as a straight white male, I was born at least on first base uh, as compared with others and had many advantages in my life as a result of that. So as I started to lean into these issues and start to understand them, really the other thing that was motivating to me beyond my namesake, if you will, 
was my first marriage. Uh, I was married to a woman I met in college and, you know, great relationship. But we ended up going, you know, different ways professionally. And, and subsequently, she engaged in a relationship with another woman who's now her wife. And that was something that really brought to me, you know, these issues that I'd read about by reading about Senator Kennedy and other things I'd read about really took these issues from my head to my heart, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. watching the challenges that she went through and in coming out, which were often, you know, most challenging in terms of her interactions with her own family. Yeah. Uh, she was uh, raised much as I was, is, you know, a kid a Catholic household, very conservative values. So it was a real challenge. And it was really at that point that I started to really understand these issues so much better. And I think most importantly, understand that unless I, you know, had relationships with people whose experiences uh, were different than my own, that I was never really going to begin to understand the challenges and the opportunities in addressing some of those disadvantages that so many people experience just based purely on, in large part, physical characteristics. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, when I think of your story and your journey, and I've heard it before, but I have to say that many people could have taken that experience and gone in different directions, right? And, you know, our topic here today, of course, is the developing empathy for the lived experiences of others. And, you know, I really do think that you embody that, you know, because the fact that you listened, learned, and saw it as an experience, an opportunity for you to continue your learning and to embrace diversity of all sorts is quite amazing and empowering. And I don't mean that in a, you know, upon a pedestal way, but more that so many people who go through experiences such as that don't necessarily lean into the the life learning. And so tell me about what was it for you? What was that like for you in terms of having to learn and better understand to be able to support this person whom you loved and going through that process? You know, it was it was really quite natural and sort of, you know, emotional and emotional reaction. It wasn't all that thoughtful in, in, the, in the way that it, maybe I, I approach things more now. It was, it was much more reactive. I was, you know, when someone that you care about goes through something that you see is just a, a great injustice, it really it, it upsets you. You're angry about it. You, you want it to be different. You don't think it's fair. And you wonder, what could you do? to make that different, not only for them, but for other people. When I first came to Eastern to interview years later, the thing I talked about with the search committee was I felt that Eastern on top of its long legacy of volunteerism and philanthropy, that we really had an opportunity in advocacy to use our resources as an increasingly large employer to speak out on issues that were important to, to others, starting with our own employees as well right. as others in the community. So because my first real engagement with this work was around the LGBTQ plus community, mm-hmm. that's really, you know, what I talked about and what I leaned into. And then, of course, that accelerated for us at Eastern when we 
acquired a bank called Wainwright Bank in Boston, which was then known as Boston Skay Bank, because of their very strong, visible advocacy for that community over, over many years. So when we acquired that company, it was an opportunity for us to engage that passion within our own DNA, greater number of people around us, and develop a community of our own where we could really reach out and get to know uh, other people within that uh, particular community. And, and that's really where I started in introducing myself to the Wainwright customer base was doing town hall meetings in their branches uh, with customers and other community partners in the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. to really hear uh, why this mattered to us at Eastern, why it mattered to me, and to hear from the, those that attended, you know, what were they looking for? Uh, how could Eastern measure up to what Wainwright was doing and hopefully build upon that standard, which you know, I'm told by many people over the past many years since then that we have, which is great. But so much of that was foundationally built, not only in my own lived experience, but the relationships that I developed through those meetings. I mean, people that I think could see that I was not only deeply sincere mm-hmm. about addressing these issues, but also very aware that I wasn't well-educated, knowledgeable didn't often know the language or the right words to use or way to right. express things. Right. And because of those relationships, people took me aside and would correct things to help me be better. So, you know, that's in many ways, when I think about my own journey in this, it began with that community, but expanded mm-hmm. uh, from there. Yeah. And I would say, Bob, that certainly that took a lot of humility, right, on your part to say to the people you were talking to, you know what, I don't know everything, I don't quite know the language or what have you, and to be able to humble yourself to learn from others. And for people, quite frankly, to feel comfortable enough to pull you aside and and say something, because oftentimes we tend to, when people don't necessarily have the right language or what have you, judge, right? So many people are so quick to judge. And what this really requires is that level of humility. So, you know, and I'm not surprised knowing who you are that you did that. So, yeah, hopefully that's something that those who are listening, who are trying to lean into diversity, equity and inclusion can also take away as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think of my own understanding of how to create uh, an environment at Eastern that really embraces DEI in a true sense of belonging. You know, there's been lots of parts to that. We've had lots of advisors, lots of help. You gotta read a lot of stuff. I mean, there's lots of information inputs, but in many ways, the most important thing that I've done over the last 16 years that I've been with Eastern was to develop and foster those relationships. Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, In so many ways. It helped me and us be more in tune with You know, what are the issues? Where can we best support, participate, gauge, speak out and and do it in the right way that's built on, you know, really a base of credible sincerity and wanting to help and not from the standpoint of trying to, you know, tote our own horn or market ourselves. I mean, certainly this work has been very good for our brand. Yeah. uh, And there's a very strong business case for it. But it's always fundamentally starts with 
what's the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. And in so many of those relationships helped figure out what the right thing to do was. And uh, I think, as, as you well know, Julia, the reshaping of our board of advisors and ambassadors mm-hmm. was a key piece to this. You know, these were boards that, you know, unlike our board of directors, which has always been pretty diverse and really showed the focus of prior management on having a diverse board. The other two boards were not, mm-hmm. you know, there were sort of afterthoughts. They were kind of a product of past bank acquisitions and, and weren't really attended to. And they were predominantly, almost entirely uh, straight older white guys. And <laughs> there's nothing wrong, you know, with straight older white guys. Uh, when people would put me in that class classification. So you need some of us around. It. <laughs> but, but, um, but going out and using it with a drive to meet with people and then engage them by asking them to join our board. So we had regular interaction, right? They could learn more about the company. We could build this relationship. And as we have sort of draw upon these relationships in a whole bunch of largely informal ways right? around issues that arise that uh, we're trying to engage in. Yeah. But I hear a lot from executives, as you know, a lot of the work that I do at diversity, equity, and inclusion, and of course, strategic networking, which is the intersection point of these two things. And I'm not talking about networking just from a business standpoint, but really, I think the better word is relationship building. There are a couple of things that I hear, you know, either I'm not comfortable or I don't know anybody, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, those, as we both know, are excuses. And at the same time, what you mentioned is you have over time, built those authentic relationships. It's one thing to be introduced to someone. It's another thing to operate in a way where you're building trust and really being there for that person or those people when they need you. So how did you, how were you able to translate the, you know, the, from the connections to actually really fostering, and I'm not just talking about the LGBTQ community, because I know that's uh, certainly where you started, but -hmm. you've also expanded to a lot of other communities and a lot of other people and have a very diverse board of directors. But talk to me about about the actual relationship process, given that you are a white male, Mm -hmm. um, uh, a straight male, as you put it. Yeah, yeah, and and, and a bank CEO. So it's it's not the the profile necessarily that would engage in the way that I did. So I grew up in the Boston area, but I hadn't lived here in 20 years and I'd never done business here. So I had no, really didn't know anyone here. So when I hear, you know, gee, we can't find anyone, it's all a matter of just reaching out uh, and getting involved and, and really looking as it was for me. I became it with no national, natural network here with any community, you know, of any ethnicity, none in the white community. Right? Yeah. So what I what I did was I just started to go to events where people like me don't normally go. I started to focus on going to various events held by organizations that were predominantly around Boston's Black community, Boston's Latino community, the Asian American community, et cetera, et cetera. And just systematically as a function of our, our work and our volunteerism and philanthropic support, knew a little bit about them. But started there and just started to go and meet people by myself, go into the room and just try to build that critical mass. I'm yeah. fortunate that, you know, Boston's not all that big a place. So it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. here than it is certainly in New York. 
yeah. in many other cities. Yeah. But yeah. it was as I started to go to these things, I started to become more of a known known entity, if you will. Right. I, mean, I could see people and I, that I saw before, and then use that as right. an opportunity to get to know others. I set up lunches, dinner right. meetings, get to know people better and start to talk about the things we were trying to do at the company and what had they seen other people do that worked that didn't work yeah or could we be most effective who else always on my list is right so who else should i meet right that's in your network that you right. think would be interested in having this conversation and yeah you know you do that over many years you're right. gonna have a pretty great network Right. And that, of course, requires time commitment as a busy executive. And you made it a priority, right? Because a lot of people say, well, I don't have time. Also, I think it takes a certain level of confidence. And I've learned that confidence isn't necessarily a byproduct of when you are an executive. There are a lot of executives without confidence. So I think the fact that you are confident walking into a room where you are the minority is also says a lot about who you are, or even if you're not totally 100% comfortable in the beginning, you let yourself enter into those spaces, got to know people authentically, and develop those relationships over time. So I wanted to point that out because not everyone has that approach. And many people will not enter a room when you said you entered the room by yourself. One, they wouldn't enter the room by themselves. And two, if they did, many people have that check the box approach. Oh, well, I went to that event that didn't quite work out. I didn't feel comfortable. So I left. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? and, you know, and I did, you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable at all, yeah. you know, in terms, because I didn't know anybody. And right. I, I liked the discomfort because I, I, I knew it would cause me to want to get better, feel yeah. more, feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that was through repetition. I remember, you know, one time when an organization called the Black Economic Council of Massachusetts was being formed several years ago, a friend of mine in the black community who was part of the organizing group said, we're, we're having a meeting down in, down in Prince Hall in the city. And it's going to be 600 black people coming together to talk about the formation of BECMA. And I'd like you to come. And, you know, I won't mention his name, but Julia, I, you know this person too. <laughs> yeah. And this person is a good friend of mine. Yeah. But I knew it was very much a dare. It, it yeah. was, it was, a, right. <laughs> I don't think he's going to do it. Right. And let's see if he will. Right. Right. And so I went and among 600 black people, I was the only white person in the entire room. Yeah. And that was, that was a very powerful experience. Because how many times have people of color been the only right. one among 600 white people? In the yeah, that, that's exactly wow. what I was thinking, Bob, right? The speaking of the lived experiences of others, right? It's an experience that black people have all the time walking into rooms where you are the only one. So, so, so thank you for sharing that. Continue on. Yeah, no, well, that's the, and then I was not only interested in the formation of the organization and I did have the invitation and I wanted, mm -hmm. wanted to prove them wrong, but I also knew that that would be, that would be an experience that would be hard for me to match. Yeah. That way. In that, I mean, these other groups I had gone to and events I'd gone to, I wasn't the only white person in the room. I was one of very few mm -hmm. and certainly the only bank CEO by a long shot. Yeah. But going into this group, with that many people 
Right. You know, most of whom I didn't know at all really made the point. And, and, and so, you know, in that way, through the lived experience of others, developing the relationships, having people, you know, when you have that relationship, people share with you how things feel, how they really happen. But this was a rare opportunity for me to really feel it myself. Yes. And unfortunately, if you're me, you don't get as many of those directly like that. Right. And again, that's why the relationships are so important, because really, for the most part, the only way to even approximate an understanding. Right. And of course, I think what is also powerful is the fact that you had that experience, but you kept going back. And and what I heard you say, too, was that you weren't comfortable because because people say all that, oh, I'm not comfortable. And it's okay. You're not comfortable. Push through the discomfort, right? In order to build those relationships and to get an appreciation for what other people may be experiencing. So right. not surprised at all that, you no, know, again, but I have a, the inside track because I know you and I know that it's authentic. What advice would you give to other executives or quite frankly, other people who may be in that discomfort zone or using the, I can't find anyone or I don't know anyone excuse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I really encourage people to, you know, build their own network, be intentional about yeah. it. You know, you don't have to go to an, a zillion events. You right. can build your own kind of informal advisory board of right. people who have different backgrounds than you do. And, and then over time, ask, you know, ask them as you build the relationship, if you can leverage their network to get to know other people. You know, for me, the venturing out led to lots of speaking opportunities at different events because we're well known in the community and we're a funder and all those things led to opportunities where we would have the podium to share our story in a way to connect with people more broadly, you know, much like, much like this podcast. And. As a result of that, hear from people that I might not have met in the room that will approach you and say, I'm interested in learning more. I think I can help you with this. Right. You know, those kinds of things. But I think you have to be deliberate and intentional about Love it. That. I learned a long time ago with respect to DEI that it, it is it is a deliberate and intentional act. And, and if, if you're it's not just going to happen because as human beings, you know, we are, we're a function of all of our collective experiences. And by definition, they are limited. Right. And usually, you know, we tend to hang out with uh, people who uh, have lived experiences much like our own. They're in our neighborhood. They're in our mm -hmm. family. We went to school together. And while you can meet people in those settings that have different lived experiences, in the end, it's going to be far too limiting. You've got to find ways to break out into completely different communities and networks. And you got to be, you know, and you have to be strategic about it. Right. Too. I mean, Absolutely. Again, we all have only have so much time. So it's finding out, you know, what's that right organization? What's the right event? Who are the right, right. individuals with those networks that can really leverage that time investment? Right. And again, a lot of that is, you don't know until you do it. Absolutely. Uh, anything. But right. over time, you can find that you can, you can get there. Right. And the payoff is huge. I mean, absolutely. Anyone who is leading a business, you know, I always say about our hunt for diversity, equity, inclusion. Yeah. It always starts with the right thing to do. 
Mm-hmm. But but more importantly, I think it's a smart thing to do. You know, we we talk about you know what is our hunt for diversity at, at Eastern, and I always say it's it's really the pursuit of a more robust collective mindset in a world where things are changing more rapidly than ever mm-hmm. and we're solved with increasingly complex problems. And study right. after study has shown that uh, higher perform diverse teams are higher performing. No surprise, because when you're faced with these increasingly complex problems, the more perspectives, however you might define that around the table, you're going to logically come up with better solutions. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to pick up on uh, one thing you mentioned there. I I thought, oh, you're you're like quoting from my book, Bob. (laughs) You you probably forgot your quote from way back when. But, um, you know, for those of you who are listening and are interested in learning more about the strategic networking, uh, you know, I, I do have two books on the topic, The Guide to Strategic Networking and A Black Woman's Guide to Networking. And very excited to say that, and I don't know if I shared this with you, Bob, yeah, so I'm sharing it now to, with everybody, excited that I, I'm working with Forbes on my third book. So, oh, congratulations. so, so thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, so yeah, so I think that everything that you're saying here really is very practical and resonates with definitely with, I think, a lot of people. I want to make sure if you can prepare Bob to tell people how to get in contact with you. I was just want to do a quick summary because there's so many wonderful nuggets here that I want to make sure that the what I consider the core uh, principles and core takeaways for me that I share those with my listeners. So, you know, I, I hear the first thing that you said was to listen, right? You spent a lot of time listening and then actually learning. And you also humbled yourself in terms of really asking when you didn't know, asking people, you know, what's the right way to say this and really being humble about the whole learning journey, which it it really is. And then you also talked about the credibility and sincerity part, which quite frankly, as you know, people can pick up on very, very quickly if people aren't being sincere. So if you're going into a room or you're going to start a new relationship with anyone and you're not being authentic, uh, that really comes through. So so that, that part is also very important. You also leveraged your network strategically, right? Music to my ears. And even there, you reached out and walked into spaces where you were not comfortable and continued to push yourself so that you could learn and so that you could grow, develop those relationships and and build upon them, not only from a personal standpoint, but also, as you found, they're also helpful for the business. So I think that's all fantastic. And, you know, what's interesting, I thought it was interesting that you said you liked the discomfort, right? Because I think most people would say, no, I, I, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But it's such a key point that if we remain in our comfort zones where we feel comfortable, then we end up with the same people that we know, and we don't push ourselves to learn and to grow, to innovate. And so I think that's also a very, very important tool. I know that there are many, many other wonderful nuggets that you shared, but I wanted to summarize those. And I want to invite you to give our listeners how they can contact you. Sure, sure. Well, again, I I think you summarized it great. And and the one only thing I'd underscore is the willingness to take risks. Uh, I would Mm -hmm. I embrace the discomfort because I knew it would make me better. And that was exciting. But you got to be willing to take that risk. And love that. 
and you know you're going to say the wrong thing and and you're not going to get it right yeah but you know the good news is is that when you go into communities that don't look like you they don't expect you to get it right at all so, um, and, <laughs> and, and, but let me let me uh, add to that though. If you say the when you have a good relationship, yeah, or when you've earned the trust of people, and you say the wrong thing, they will cut you some slack. They no will doubt. embrace no you with grace. So, so I yeah. think that's no that's question. an important point. Yeah, no, the, try, yeah. the try, the recognition of the try. Right. Something I always benefited from and by developing the relationships, people would take me off to the side and say, Right, you know, that was generally good, but next time yeah. don't say it this way. But you gotta be willing to do that. Right. Because again, there's not enough you could read or listen to to ever get it right on your own, at least in my experience. So right. Uh, right. But again, I, I'd, I'd love to hear from your listeners and uh, maybe there's some things that you felt I said today that weren't quite right and be better and that's welcome. But certainly if I can be of help to anyone, uh, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people out there that would yeah. be a great help to me. If you just Google Bob Rivers Eastern Bank, uh, I think LinkedIn is the first thing that comes up. So I'm right on there and send me a note and offer to connect. And I'd love to hear from you. And again, Juliet, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Bob, for taking the time, sharing authentically as you always do. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. Dot com and be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.